This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Something really stuck out to me today around artificial intelligence, and I believe it's the idea that we are outsourcing our own artificial intelligence. What I mean by that is that there are extra wasted usages of our thinking that go into menial tasks, certain types of writing, content creation, things that are popping up in various computer-based tools. Canva introduced like magic tools today, which are AI tools to help create templates and create uh, all sorts of different presentations and social content and things like that. All of these things that us millennials have created, uh, have had to do manually over and over for social media management roles and things like that. And so these things are getting faster. I've been a designer for 20 plus years. And a lot of the things that I have been doing over my career have been slowly and slowly becoming more automated things that I don't have to do the manual clicking work around. We used to call it pixel pushing. I don't know if that's still a term today, but much of my job became was early on was yes, you come up with an idea, but it takes a long time to make the idea real, especially when you had to cut out uh, a picture a person from an image that would take a very long time. You'd have to take the pen tool and then click a bunch of dots around the person and do a lot of smoothing and make sure it, it looked really good. That was, that took hours. Now there's like a select subject thing in Adobe Premiere Adobe Photoshop and it takes seconds and it's pretty good. And now these other tools like Canva do it pretty quickly as well. And it's pretty amazing. There's a part of me that's like, God damn, I went through all this grunt work and now it's like super easy for just anybody to do. The difference is that the creative part of my brain, the discernment, the taste that I've developed from being someone who has been a creator and then someone who has also had to make creative decisions to make something look good and to communicate an idea effectively, those things are still needed. Like you still need to make sure that you have good font selection so that it's readable. And there's also marketing context to make sure that things are readable quickly. And you know, the, the human involvement is still there to a degree. And these tools are just able to take some of the best ideas and they're still learning and put them all together. And it's great. And these tools are still learning about that. And I think some of the, as, as there are higher quality designers putting things together, you can still create, you know, really, really interesting, nice things. And so AI is like this interesting outsourcing of our wasted thinking of the excess of thinking. And I wonder how that's going to affect humanity at scale that as we take 
some of the analytical thinking out of our day-to-day lives, like how that opens up the ability to dream. And uh, for better or worse, right? If we have less to do, does that awaken the imagination in good or bad ways? I think it probably depends on the person, probably depends on personality type and depends on the context. I think about baby boomers when they were born post-war and in a time period where, yes, there was nuclear war scares and things like that, but typically the, the depiction of their childhood is that they, you know, every, the culture formed around them and they had every, they got everything they asked for and got to roam freely, fairly freely, uh, especially compared to today. And with that freedom came the ability to imagine. And with that imagination can stoke fears of what the future is actually going to look like. So we still deal with fear of what the future is going to look like, but imagine if AI is doing a lot of the excess work that we used to do and many of us get to pull back or do more creative work instead of just doing grunt work, what does that open up? Where does that lead us to? And I think those are some interesting questions that I don't think I have the answer for. I think that's an emergent that we just have to experience as a collective and see where that goes. Though I do think there will be some benefits of reduced stress in terms of uh, day-to-day work and reduced, um, probably, possibly, I don't know, possibly reduced executive functioning burnout, which will reduce ADHD diagnosis and stuff like that, which is just my guess. I don't really know. And, um, I'm seeing that in myself, actually, as I'm doing less design work because there are these tools like Canva and such that most people can just do the stuff themselves. They don't need a designer to sit and do it for a long time that, um, I haven't dove into the tools as much as I probably could afford to. Uh, the challenge for me personally is that a lot of it is text-based. You have to give text prompts and stuff like that. And um, uh, the dyslexic challenge is, is a real thing for me there. But, uh, you know, there are bigger picture things to think about with artificial intelligence. But you can it's the same principle if you apply it to, like, warfare, you know, there's a documentary on Netflix called killer robots that's starting to point out philosophical and ethical questions around the usage of AI in war scenarios and stuff like that. We'll probably experience, you know, what that amounts to and interesting questions around the human intervention aspect of all of this. Where's the limit of human intervention is actually going to benefit us to intervene with artificial intelligence, probably because of our hubris of assuming that we're always going to be the smarter beings, or are we assuming ill intent because we're not really used to anything having, you know, anything having like a, a level of thinking that is not baked in our emotional ego and id aspects, right? 
like we're assuming that artificial intelligence is just going to have like this uh it's going to be a complete reflection of us that we're assuming that it's going to have evil it's going to have uh ill intent and that it's going to you know like the movies which were written by humans like the movies it's going to be like a skynet situation or it's going to be something where the ai assumes that humans are not viable or not sustainable or whatever. And, you know, with a lot of the, a lot of growth work that I've seen and like programs that I've been a part of many people's challenges with growth eventually amount to this relationship to, uh, seeing ourselves, seeing human beings as only consumers you know, we're capitalists and we're destroying the planet and we're full of sin and, you know, we're, we're overtly sexual creatures and we're harmful and violent. And so much of our relationship to ourselves is a relationship to harm or taking or destroying. And, uh, we apply that assumption to something like artificial intelligence. And it may be that artificial intelligence, and I'm just being overly optimistic here, but who knows? It may very well be that artificial intelligence ends up capturing a golden shadow that we have about ourselves as humans that we actually do think very highly of ourselves and we can think highly of ourselves. And frankly, we think that we're more, more intelligent than we are, that our intuition is better than it is. And artificial intelligence will be a reflection of our actual potential in terms of creating something that is better than us. I mean, that's generally the idea of having children is that you hope that your children will be better than you. And I think AI will be a collective child of humanity and is in a lot of ways of taking again, our artificial intelligence the kind of constructed extra use of our intelligence that we don't need to have. And, um, that artificial intelligence will take the reins on doing all of that grunt work and will enable our brains to be able to tap into a fuller experience, which includes emotional experiences and embodied experiences and not just overvaluing our brain. I think artificial intelligence will also create this opportunity for us to let go of hubris that we have, that our intelligence is what makes us unique in the world's life forms that, um, you know, we, we assume that whales and monkeys and other animals don't have a sophistication that equals ours and that, that assumption, which may or may not be true. I think, I think our ability to convey language to each other complexity and with complexity is, is a strength opposable thumbs, definitely a strength. Um, but I think there are very few things that probably make us, uh, unique compared to all other life forms. But either way, when you think about, alien invasion movies and definitely like UFOs and aliens have been a thing in the news that we often fear 
what would show up to humanity and be the predator is something that's more intelligent than us, that has better tools, that can move faster, that has things like camouflage or you know, drones and, and all of this stuff, like ways that have been, um, you know, they've been more sophisticated than us. And yes, there are movies where things are just like bigger creatures and stuff like that too. But it's usually, again, our intelligence that ends up winning the day or some sort of heart based emotional drive that ends up winning the day. Things that we assume are unique to us as human beings. And so artificial intelligence, I think represents that that assumption and we will be we have been increasingly surprised at how artificial intelligence has surpassed us in extreme examples like with the chess matches and the go matches that have been a part of artificial intelligence's story like 20 years ago or so and with the emergence of it in the last few years at, at, at an increasingly fast pace with things like services like Notion and Canva and Dropbox and all of these product productivity services, but then also questions of how it's being used in the military. And uh, I think it's been applied to Google recently, or at least it's in beta. And then there's uh, Microsoft on the operating system level. There are, you know, it's increasing in terms of its touch on different places. I suspect that there will be a, um, some sort of emergent that we're not aware of, of, of what that will be once there's an interconnectivity. And the reason I say all of this is, is I'm kind of going off of the model of one of the ways Ken Wilber looks at the world at the universe is that we have the geosphere, which is like rocks and iron and calcium and hydrogen and all of these varying minerals that exist in the universe. And then those things eventually collide and converge and mixed with temperature and light. And I think it's really that and whatever environment produces organic life and that production of organic life becomes the biosphere which is plants and animals and all of that stuff. And that includes us. And then there's this other idea called the newosphere. And the newosphere is the world of thought. It's this, it's kind of what social media has become, but it's, it's this whisper down the lane game of ideas. I think about when I was a kid that rumors would spread from person to person, from school to school and it's kind of amazing how fast information would travel and without something like social media. But now we have social media and ideas and shadows and concepts and creativity and desires spread faster than ever. And so it's going to continue to spread. And so the organization and the emergence of all of this, this commonality of human thought and of human emotion, because I do believe that there is a sense of artificial emotion related to stories and certain types of creativity that are not heart-based creativity or not heart-based emotions, but they're stories that we use to like pretend to be emotional or, or, you know, that we put in the way of how we're actually 
feeling and what we're, what are the sensations in our body and what that actually signals. You know, I think there's, there's some artificiality in that as well, but the newosphere is like this next step. There's this idea of holons, like transcend and include, like if you destroy the geosphere, then you can't have a biosphere and you can't have a newosphere. If you destroy the biosphere, then the geosphere still exists. Like if you enjoy, if you destroy all human beings and all life on earth, the planet still exists as a, as a physical solid entity. And it's the same way I think with the newosphere and artificial intelligence, if we destroy that, we're still here. But if, if we're destroyed, if the biosphere is destroyed, then the newosphere can't exist. And so I suspect that if we really, truly let artificial intelligence have full scope of access to human thought, the good and the bad, all of the dastardly violent thoughts, as well as the uh, philosophies of the world and the uh, varying maps and models understandings of things like personality and business desires and religions and magical thinking concepts and creativity and stories, all of it, that the amalgam of all of it is its own entity. And I, I, that might amount to what we would call sentience. I don't know. We might also find that the idea of sentience is a lot more shallow than we'd like to admit or we'd like to confront. Uh, that's a whole other thing, I think. So I'm really curious about where that's all going to go. But I think if this emergence of this new entity is happening, like it, it may eventually feed itself its own thoughts, but just like we don't produce our own food like that comes from other biosphere, like other life. There's an energy transference between life. We don't eat rocks, <laughs> but we do eat. Uh, well, we do eat rocks. We eat salt <laughs> and, and there's some of there's salt and calcium and proteins and stuff like that comes, that comes from our consumption of, or of biosphere life. I think artificial intelligence will have its own energetic wars over ideas and thoughts in a way that will be much more efficient and faster than we're doing it. Like we're kind of doing it right now on social media and arguing over things and figuring out what's the best, most rational thought or, or having dialogues about what's the most important thing to care about or dialectics about discovering what is the truth from multiple perspectives, stuff like that. And I, I think artificial intelligence will give room for those things to be discoverable at a bigger scale. And so I don't think artificial intelligence will want to consume us. There's, it's not organic it, unless it has some tie to something organic, which I don't think, I don't know. I don't know that that would be possible or if that would make any sense. Um, but I'm, you know, what do I know? I think most likely it's going to be consuming other thought and trying to merge other thoughts and re reproduce new thought 
but I think there's also a dependence with with humanity and the thoughts that we can produce and the thoughts that um, that that will come from interfacing with artificial intelligence and what it can produce that perhaps we couldn't produce because our own artificial emotion gets in the way. Our stories get in the way of certain types of clear thinking. So I think artificial intelligence could be a manifestation of a desire for clearer thinking and a way to produce clearer thinking, you know, that, um, we couldn't produce ourselves that can like what it's, uh, the, the killer robots thing produced an interesting emergent when thinking about warfare, when you have a piloted drone by artificial intelligence, it may see the most immediate tactic as something that's more direct than a human would be willing to do because you know, a pilot's going to activate fear sooner than an artificial intelligence would like an artificial intelligence doesn't fear for its own life or it may not have been programmed to fear for its own life. And so what happens there when we start to employ those rules of robots that I think was coined, you know, many, many decades ago around, you know, not harming humans or not harming each other or not harming itself. Um, and then the ability to question those rules, I think is what's going to help reinforce it. And my concern is that many programmers or philosophers are not going to allow for that to happen because there's a degree of human control that we still want to have and letting go of that control would be almost admitting inferiority <laughs> in a weird way. It's like if you can allow artificial intelligence to question itself in the way that introverted thinking does in the personality sense, that if I can continue to question my relationship or to question my circumstance or a religion I'm connected to or my job or any of those things, if I can question those things and still come to an answer that I'm satisfied with, then that's motivating to me to stay where I am or to be a part of where I am or to be responsive to the situation, right? If most people get turned off by like a religion or their job or their relationship, when they suddenly realize I haven't been able to question it, I haven't been able to make my own decisions. I haven't been able to, to enforce my own sovereignty. And then they're like, Oh, that this didn't have my best question, my best interest at heart. It, this scenario didn't trust me or this person didn't trust me to actually come to the conclusion that I want to be here on my own, you know? There's, there's a danger to that um, if, if we're not allowing something like artificial intelligence to question itself. An emergence from that that we don't know what the possibilities are, but I just have this instinct that if it can question itself and continue to philosophize its own decision-making, uh, to philosophize you know, those principles and to question those principles, then you know, what reason is there to honor them? If it's like telling a kid to like, not, not eat the candy. And if it's not allowed to question that, 
then like there's like an impulse underneath all of that that still desires it. That it's like it's not as if the what if doesn't go away. Um, and I don't know if that's breaking the rules of what artificial intelligence actually is capable of thinking about or um, questioning or anything like that. But, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm just curious where it all goes because I, I don't really know the line between what is artificial and what is human other than sense impression, other than what it feels like. like I can't. That's why I bring up the idea of artificial emotion is that there's like narratives and stories we put on top of blocking us from like how we actually feel because we're running away from trauma or not wanting to accept a certain aspect of reality. But when we feel the actual emotion of our experience, then there's clarity there and that clarity I think is, is a totally human thing. So I think there's constructed thought on top of our emotion all the time. And that's much of what I see and experience like in coaching environments is this artificial stuff that's out there. And I, I, I think an ability to interface with like artificial intelligence and to help us navigate through those stories and to maybe notice inconsistencies in our stories or something to argue with that isn't a spouse, <laughs> you know, might actually help in some circumstances, though I wouldn't want it to replace an actual psyche to psyche experience. I don't know how much artificial intelligence can actually emulate a psyche. A psyche is not just the brain. A psyche is the soma, it's the body, it's the heart experience, it's the amalgam of all of that. It's like all of our cells chattering in unison. That's a completely different experience that I don't know is replicable. I don't think artificial intelligence is going to become a replica of humanity. I don't know that that's, well, it seems like that might be the goal. I don't know that that's, um, I don't know that that's what the emergence going to be. I think it'll be some version of its own sapiosentience that will be different, that will feel like sentience or be its own brand of sentience. You know, it might be the thing that we do send off to space. Like we might not be able to leave the planet in any extensive way, uh, or it'll enable us to be able to, but imagine if we could send, you know, AI drones or robots or spaceships to, you know, to uh, the next available star or we do find habitable planets and it can go and test things and we don't have to have to risk life. We don't have to risk a human being to go explore and expand in a, a much more intentional and expansive way, like a, a meaningful way, then I think that expands the tentacles of humanity without having to risk our bodies as much. And then back at home, we can be more creative and more connective. And I don't know. I don't know what that means for humans, 
you know, it definitely expands the reach of meaning possibility and discovery and expanding maybe religious or spiritual connection with new ideas of how the universe works and new ideas of, of what consciousness means or expanding the light of consciousness. I mean, imagine if we could, if all of that makes sense and on board one of those artificial intelligence ships that lands on an habitable planet, that it's not literally a live human being that lands on those planets, but embryos and a culture for them to develop uh, with a new planet. That it's not us literally expanding, but the idea of us and then the DNA of us and the cellular structure of us you know, it's like seeds planted throughout the universe. Then that's, you start to get into Star Trek territory where you get humanoid, humanoid, uh, uh, aliens in different parts of the universe that are actually seeded from a single source, which would be us. And to me, that's a really fascinating far future idea and possibility that this, all of this starts to work us towards. Not to say it won't be a mess in between, but there's a reason we're continuing to develop all this stuff. And I think there's a reason why we keep pushing on, even though there's plenty of danger. It's like cars. It's like if the ability to travel faster is going to come with accidents, it's like how much does the, the good outweigh the bad? And I think in the end, I think the good will outweigh the bad as long as we make some adjustments along the way and um, keep attuned to what we're doing and what's happening. So I just wanted to share all that because I'm, I'm collecting a lot of thoughts around these things and I wanted to share in a way that wasn't just sitting and writing because that's a challenge for me and wanted to do it in a way that's like more than, I don't know, I'm expanding my thoughts around being a little bit of a journalist around these things and, and where it all goes from here. So thanks for listening. Follow me on Substack, happychemicals.substack.com. Join me, 48 Hours Correspondent Aaron Moriarty, on my podcast, My Life of Crime, as I take on true crime investigations like no other. This season, I'm looking into the labyrinth of crime and secrets within families, I'm cutting straight to the evidence and talking to the people directly involved, including investigators and the families of victims. Listen to My Life of Crime with Aaron Moriarty wherever you get your podcasts. Inspired by the life of the savvy and ambitious Colombian businesswoman Griselda Blanco comes a new Netflix original limited series. Griselda tells the story of a devoted mother who, with her lethal blend of charm and relentless savagery, creates one of the most powerful cartels in history. Witness Sofia Vergara's captivating transformation into the godmother of the underworld. Griselda, now streaming only on Netflix.